Hey, everybody. This is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. And I guess we're just going to make a habit out of this because Q is back again this week. Hey, Q. Yes. Hello. So I'm happy to make a habit of it. That's fine with me. I'm all about it. Yes. So we are going to be talking a little bit today about doctors again. So apparently, (laughs) (laughs) I, I think there are a lot of stories out there about doctors doing things. And I think it's probably not that necessarily they they do they commit more crimes than nurses i think it's because <laughs> the media probably says oh that's more interesting almost oh, definitely yeah. yeah they see a doctor has done something like that they're going to pounce all over it and it's also a numbers game but i can't, i have to say this because it's just the truth many of these homicides more killing more aggression does happen with men and there are a lot less men nurses so i don't even know if that's a thing makes sense but yeah no no i agree it's just when you hear a story oh my goodness there's a doctor that committed a murder yeah no bias but it's like just more good for television than a nurse killed someone. right <laughs> exactly so before we do, do get though into our doctor stories we wanted to talk a little bit because there is a hearing coming up for the nurse in nashville tennessee who worked for vanderbilt redonda vaught who is being charged with reckless homicide, I believe, and neglect of an, of an elderly person, something like that. I know she's facing 12 to 20 years in prison for basically for making a med error, really, just for making a mistake at work. That's exactly what's happening. Yeah. So she, there is another hearing. I've gone to all of the hearings so far, and I just wanted to kind of keep this out there and keep everyone thinking about it. And what's really ironic is I just had texted you and said, hey, let's, can we do this for the in the news story so we can, you know, keep talking about it since she has a hearing coming up? And you're like, yeah, sure, that sounds great. And then I got an email from one of our listeners from Australia. Oh, wow. Yeah. Asking about the case. And she said, uh, her name is Melinda. Hey, Melinda. <laughs> so <laughs> she said that she would just wanted to know what's going on with the case. And so I responded back to her right away and said, hey, can't believe this. This is so weird, but we're literally about to record an episode. I just yeah. want to make sure people are listening to that because, number one, she has a, for those of you that don't know, she worked at Vanderbilt University. There was a lady who had an aneurysm who came in. She needed a PET scan. Redonda went down to administer Versed. She accidentally pulled out the coronium, which is a paralytic. So she administered that instead. And the patient did die. So kind of like the very short story is CMS came in, did a a review about a year later, and then she was charged with reckless homicide and and neglect of an elderly patient. So there is a GoFundMe account for Redonda. They've raised about $94,000. Which is very impressive, but... It is, but still not enough, really, to cover... It definitely isn't, yeah. Because this is going to go to trial. Her her defense attorney said that at the next hearing, which is June 27th at 9 a.m. and that's Central Standard Time, they will they're going to discuss. I get it's a discussion hearing, so they will talk about the discovery and where they are and the, where the prosecution is in the case and where the defense is in the case, and then they will. Set, he said they will most likely set a trial date at that time. Yeah, and I just wanted to add to that that just um of the story of what happened. I, I don't know what the, you said CMS, CNS, whatever they called the whatever the governing body is called. I think the major thing that they're harping about is the fact that she overrode 
she hit override when pulling out the Vecaronium. Yeah. Instead of the Versed, she over she hit override. And they saying Vanderbilt especially is saying that it's not our fault, it's her fault, because that was a safety that she overrid and then right. the the death happened. So and I and we talked about this the last time and uh oh, oh I'm sorry, you we talked about this when you were on my show and I just even like when I go to work every single time I'm at work. I think about that since we had that conversation because you're right. It happens so often. So we cannot, as nurses, just, we really need to support her just because this can become a very slippery, very slippery slope to just putting all the blame on the person giving the care. And obviously we need to take responsibility. Obviously we're not saying like, Oh, you shouldn't, but this is a system issue. This is like, it's not just the one person. It's not just the one nurse. I just wanted to make, because after you told me about that, Mm -hmm. after we had that conversation, like the amount of times it's happened just in the past week, week and a half, it's like, I can't, I can't, I couldn't tell you because it's happened that much the days I've been at work. It's, it's ridiculous. And everybody knows it. Vanderbilt Medical Center knows it. And all the nurses that are listening to this podcast know it. If you work at the bedside, especially in a critical care setting or an emergency room setting, you have to override medications all the time. It's not necessarily just an emergency situation. It's just trying to take care of your patient and do your job. If you were were to refuse to override medications, and I will say that I have started refusing to do that more now when it's possible. So if it's not, if it really truly isn't an emergent situation, then I'm going to just insist that no pharmacy, you need to go ahead and verify this med now because you need to verify the medication. Docs need to do the reconciliation if they're doing transfers, like all of these little things that we need other okays from, from other healthcare professionals. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, I agree with you when it is possible, you got to do it. But like, like Tina, you know, I mean, I, we get chest pain literally every day and we get chest pain multiple times a shift. So when patients come to the floor, especially from the ED, especially um, when they're new to the hospital and not transferring, 90% 90% of the time, they need nitro, and it's not verified. 90%. We don't even uh, – uh, our nitroglycerin, we don't even keep into the, the pixels. We just have it in the bedroom, so you could go mm-hmm. in and just grab it and give it. So, I, I just – it it frustrates me. It really does frustrate me that Vanderbilt and just the governing uh, organization just put all the blame on Redonda. Yeah, right on her shoulders yeah. as if – and, and for those of you that are listening, I, I just, if you are thinking for some reason that, well, there's no way I could ever make that mistake, I would never. The fact is, how many of you have ever made a mistake and then thought to yourself, I don't know how in the world I made that. I would never thought I would have done something like that. It's Exactly. You, you don't know what you're capable of doing until you do it. You don't know what can happen. She had an orientee with her. She was going to a different floor. She was floating in the hospital. She wasn't in, you know, her normal area. She was going to another floor where they didn't have computers. There were so many things going on. And so I just, if you, if you think that you wouldn't make this mistake, you, are you saying you would never make a mistake? Because I, I have seen people in forums, on in groups, and some nurses will say, I would never do that. Sort of, I guess, insinuating that she, that somehow she, they should be prosecuting her, which is, I don't understand that at all. Even if you think you wouldn't make the mistake and you think she should lose her license, 
Do you really think she should be charged criminally? And sent to jail? Really? Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Oh, it's ridiculous. I know. I just but I think the vast majority of nurses, of course, are backing her and rightfully so. So we are for sure and I just want to encourage any of you to go to her GoFundMe page if you want to help in any way and give whatever you can if you want if you're anywhere near Nashville, Tennessee on December or uh, June the 26th, 27th, I'll be going there with some other nurses that I work with. And on the 20, night of the 26th, we'll stay there that night. And then that Thursday morning, we'll go to the hearing. Even if it's just, it doesn't, if it's 10 or 15 minutes, who cares? I, we're going to go and we'll be there to support her. She's so precious. She appreciates every single person and every single act of support and encouragement. She will talk to you just like she she's known you forever. She's an amazing person, and it's, it really couldn't have ha- happened to a sweeter, kinder person. It's really tragic and horrible. I hate it. I hear you. I hear you, girl. So, that being said, we're going to talk about a bad doctor this week. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, we are. <laughs> a bad, bad doctor. This is becoming a pattern with you and I, because I think we... <laughs> Have we talked about doctors every time? <laughs> um, no, the first was the first time a nurse. What was the first one? Oh, I can't remember. Yeah, I have a terrible memory. We'll figure it out. So, but I do know the last one that we did was a doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this time we're going to be talking about Doctor Timothy Stryker, and he is he was an endocrinologist who lived in Boston. Massachusetts. My home, my home state, by the way. Yeah. Just putting it out there. We're not all this guy, just to let y'all know. <laughs> I didn't even do that on purpose. I just kind of found the story, and it just so happened I was like, hey, wait, you're in Boston, aren't you? <laughs> yes. So there really isn't a whole, you know, usually I try to find a little bit about the person's childhood or their background or, you know, kind of like maybe explain a little bit of the backstory. I couldn't find anything on his childhood or his really his life before 1993. He did at some point, he was quoted as saying that he knew from a very young age that he that that's what he wanted to do. He said it was his nature to want to help people. And that you know was referring to becoming a doctor. He always wanted to be a doctor since he was a child. Yep. And so then after he did become a doctor, he met Lynn Gowdy, who was an OBGYN. She specialized in high-risk pregnancies, and she was renowned in her field, very well-respected, the kind of the, the go-to doctor, you know, that if you're yeah. having a difficult pregnancy, that's who they were going to go to. That's what you call. Yeah. yeah. And it sounded like that in the uh, in like the stories in the articles I was reading and watching those videos. It sounded like she was really like the bee's knees when it came to high-risk pregnancies. Like, yeah. you know, that emergency last-minute call. Dr. Gowdy, please come help. Yes. Uh, I was like, oh, she's the one. Yes. Yes. Very, very impressive. So, they met and started dating, I guess, somewhere in the neighborhood of like 1989 or so. And so, by 1993, they had been dating dating for four years. So that's a that's a long time to be dating someone. That's you're, Exactly. I mean, you're pretty well established in that relationship. And I would think by that time, you're kind of either, either you're either it's going to work or it's not, you know? Exactly. In four years, you're, you're going to propose, you're going to do something, um, or it's, uh, you, you weren't meant to be. Right. And, and it's kind yes. of awkward, I guess, if you get to that point. And then things are kind of fizzling out, you know, because exactly. four years is a long time and you don't, 
do you, you don't want to feel like you've wasted those four years and maybe you have some good memories or but things are just maybe not going quite the way you would hope that they would. Tim's sister, Jean Stryker, she actually used to work for Dr. Gowdy at the OBGYN, I guess, at her office. And when she talked about their, you know, relationship, she would say that they, you know, I guess like to cook together mm-hmm. and they would share the cooking responsibilities and then clean up. But she always saw them interacting in a very positive way toward each other. So they had just planned, here we are in 1993, okay, they've been dating for four years and they plan yep. it. Yeah, and they plan a trip to the Caribbean. Mm. But Lynn, this is so funny because so her, I don't know if you saw this in that, uh, so that like, interview with her friend Lisa. She yeah. sort of came across to me as like this sort of mystical person who believes <laughs> very much so. Yeah. Yes. She kinda <laughs> yes. kind of believes in the <laughs> I don't know, kind of like the spooky kind of stuff. So she said that Lynn had a dream about being in a car driving and she said that she thinks she, she remembers her saying she was like maybe going around a mountain. Yeah. And then she sees an airplane crash into the side of a mountain. And this is before she's supposed to go on this vacation and she I guess she's so much into this sort of mystical stuff or believes in this uh, sort of thing that it really spooked her. And yeah. she basically was like, I'm not going because she thought it was some kind of sort of omen. Yeah. Uh, so uh, there's a couple of things about this point, uh, by this point in the story, right? So when I was reading this, I was like, Tim is super gun ho about going to the Caribbean. I'm thinking, just like you said, four years is that time he's trying to propose. That was like when they were talking about the vacation. I'm like, all right, t- Tim is trying to propose to, uh, to Dr. Gowdy. Mm-hmm. And then when she has this dream and then she thinks it means something, oh, maybe it does actually mean, who knows, right? She feels that way. I am so, uh, I, I'm just not a mystic. I don't like that stuff. I don't <laughs> believe in that stuff, right? But for me to hear it from someone else telling me what their dreams meant, I was a little, okay, I don't I don't know. I was just surprised that this was such a big part of the actual story. But at the same time, what else can we go off of based on what the people that are still alive know? Yeah. And were you kind of surprised that not to stereotype people because I kind of got my hand slapped a little bit by someone for stereotyping uh, already. (laughs) But and I'll talk about that in a minute. But is it surprise you that a doctor would be into kind of mystic stuff? Because, you know, usually they're kind of scientific and they're more practical. So, so like that's what I was trying. Like that's what I was trying to say. Like because like in healthcare, I'm all science. It's all research. It's all facts, and you know, evidence based. Yeah. Evidence based is what we're born and raised, and and like it's drilled into our heads. Evidence based. Right. Um. So for Doctor Gowdy to take that seriously, I was like, okay, that's a little off. And then for the actual investigation and all of the interviews and all of the articles, they talk about this dream like it's a like it's, it's, it's like evidence. I'm like, why are we talking about this dream? <laughs> I know it's a big part of it. But I agree with you 1000%. I just I I I'm, I was really confused by it, but I guess it's her reason for not wanting to go. I don't know. Like I feel like this is something. I feel like she just didn't want to go and this is how she decided to tell Tim I don't want to go. But Everyone else is making it such a big deal, so maybe she did think it was. You and I are kind of on the same wavelength because that's exactly <laughs> the the sort of gut feeling that I had. Like she maybe sensed or or felt like, oh, he's gonna re- he's gonna propose. I don't want to be yeah. in the situation where I am 
over in the Caribbean, away from everyone, an airplane ride back home, be pr- being proposed to, if she wasn't sure yeah. that she was going to say yes, she probably didn't want to be put in that situation. Exactly, because if, you, if you're going to that and you know who's going to propose and you know you don't want to, it's just, it's a horrible vacation. It's not a vacation, it's just an awkward situation. You yeah. guys are sharing a room, you guys have paid for everything. It's a horrible situation. So I can understand if she doesn't want to be there. Mm-hmm. And if this is the reason she made up, that's the reason she made up. Yeah, I I, that's how it felt. Maybe she had a bad dream and it was like, oh, this is going to be, <laughs> I'm latching on to this with everything I have. <laughs> but at the same time, if she was, if she really was into that mystic, uh, like astrology stuff, like good for her, but it would have made sense if they were like, oh, her mom like red palms or something. I just didn't get anything outside of this one dream. Everything else made her seem like this is not something that she does. But I just wanted to note that. Sorry for taking us off track. That's fine. No, I I, I get it. I, and I, you know, I mentioned somebody, I kind of got my hands slapped. So if just to, to completely digress or away from our topic, <laughs> yeah. I did get an email from someone who said that they were very disappointed in me. And I was just about to, I wanted to just melt under the couch whenever I read that. I was like, well, then you couldn't have possibly said anything that could have hurt my feelings any more than to say <laughs> you're disappointed. But um, she said that when you and I were talking about the nurse who was, a psychologist first and then she got her nursing degree and then she worked at a fertility clinic it was a suitcase oh yeah, yeah. so yeah so so the first story wasn't a doctor by the it way was. so yes and yes and i agree yeah. yep i remember she was not happy that we sort of stereotyped psych nurses as oh. being tending to have mental health issues and then she felt like that sort of promoted the stereotype the, the stigma you know of mental health issues and i guess like I kind of understood that really when I, when I read it. I mean, I, and I, what I said to her was, I actually have heard people say that, but at the same time, I would never want to promote stereotypes. I'm, I'm exactly the opposite of that. I try so hard, but it is hard sometimes. We just, you live in this world and stereotypes happen for a reason. It's just kind of like your experiences. So exactly. And and, so let me just add my two cents. Yeah. So I, First of all, whoever that person was, thank you for letting you know, and then thank you, Tina, for letting me know. Yeah. Um, I uh, I did agree. In fact, I did say that during that last <laughs> thing, um, our conversation that last time, and I just want to say, you're right. I do apologize, and that is something that I did, right? That is something that I said, and I said it with some glee, um, but at the same time, it is just me responding, just like you said. A lot of the psych nurses I know say things like that, yeah. but even though someone that's part of that psych nurse situation says it doesn't mean i can i should promote it so i I do apologize but it is also i was just regurgitating what other psych nurses tell me yes and she 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 very nicely uh suggested that i have a a psych nurse or someone like that on the show so i do plan on doing that in the future at some point having somebody a psych nurse or a psychiatric nurse practitioner or someone like that on the show so we can talk about that and i can hopefully clear the air a little bit <laughs> exactly exactly redeem myself <laughs> so we all make mistakes right q of course yeah i'm right i'm right there with you <laughs> tita i'm right there with you <laughs> so anyway we digress we're gonna get back on the story so anyway they were supposed to go on this vacation she pretty much said nope i'm not going her friends and family are basically saying that they were starting to have problems in their relationship but dr Stryker is saying that she was just getting burned out from working so much. And we know that doctors work long hours. They do work a lot. So 
I don't think that would be surprising to anyone, but her her yeah. her friends and family were saying no, that it was more than that. She exactly. was having a problem with her relationship with him because they said she he was controlling. He was kind of self-absorbed and very rigid, yeah. very predictable as what Lisa said in his lifestyle. He he said what time you're going to eat, you know, where are you going to go when you leave. Yeah, very controlling like I need to know everything, what you're doing, when you're doing, how you're doing it, yeah. who you're doing it with, the whole nine. It's his way or the highway. I guess we all kind of know people like that. And yeah. then that may work for some people. But for her, she's also probably this, you know, sort of type A personality who wants to have make her own decisions. Do it her mm-hmm. way. Exactly. Um. And so just, just with that, like, obviously this is our, our speculating, right? Because yeah. we, we're reading the facts and we're going to speculate what we don't know. But if... If it was at the beginning of her career and she was just coming out of med school, I could understand, oh, well, she's dealing with a lot. Maybe she went from being a student, a resident, uh, and now she's a fellow or now she's uh, finally in attending. But no, she was established. She was doing her thing. And then the trouble started. This is not a work-related thing. It sounds like her work was set and solid and she loved it and everyone loved her at work. So the fact that they're saying that it might have been something at work, I I just just don't believe it. I just Mm -hmm. don't. I think it was the relationship. Yeah. And I, and I think that's kind of what their friends were saying. Like, no, they weren't buying that. And so even though they were sort of planning this vacation, she wasn't planning on going on the vacation. So that wasn't necessarily an indication that they were doing okay with their relationship. Actually, there were some witnesses who say they were they overheard them arguing about going on the vacation a couple of weeks before they were supposed to go. It was definitely a a topic of, you know, it was a source of contention for them. And a, he wasn't happy that she, she wasn't wanting to go. And they were arguing about it. So on September 30th of 1993, that was the last time anyone ever saw her alive. And apparently she was supposed to be going out of town for a, a reunion. You know, she, you can imagine she's going out of town. And so her immediate friends and family aren't really expecting her to be calling or, or talking to them. And so they didn't really notice when she wasn't around that weekend. And the doctor, Dr. Stryker, says he wasn't concerned because sometimes she wouldn't necessarily call him every single day. Which to me, that's sort of a, a red flag. I know when I, when my husband and I were dating Hello, we going, we talked every single day. <laughs> yes. I know, I was when I read that yes. I was like, "You are you kidding me? You skipped a day?" No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so so that I don't know about that. Like it's necessary, but it, I don't know. I th- I feel like this can go both ways. Just because everyone's saying that he's super controlling, yeah. but at the same time he's saying that they don't talk for a couple of days. I, like I don't know. I, I'll I'll. T- Further on, there's the, when other stuff add up, I'll, I'll tell yeah, you Yeah, it's definitely a little, a small drop in the bucket of all of the things that happened. Yes. That's, a, that's a little bit of a, like, oh, really? People are different. Question, People yeah. are different. Exactly. So then four days after that, the last time, you know, that she was seen, she, she was found in her car. She was in the back of the car, wrapped in a blanket. She was face down and the car was parked in the very back of the of the parking lot. And I know it makes me think, I don't know how your hospital is, but our hospital is this huge, huge parking lot. And when you get there, if you try to go, when I get there early in the morning, there's plenty of parking because exactly. not everybody gets there at 630 in the morning or 615. <laughs> but if you try to go in the middle of the day because you have like ACLS class or something to go to. Forget about it. Oh, 
You can't yeah. find a parking like spot. Getting- You're parking all the way in the very, very, very back. So I'm like, if you have to park, if it's July... And you're parking in the back 40 <laughs> parking lot. But for this situation, mm-hmm. Tina, I was a little concerned. Yeah. Because every hospital I've ever worked at, I've ever been to, doctors have specific parking yeah. that is closer to the hospital. So why is she parking all the way in the back? I don't know. I, don't, I, I thought that was odd, too. Yeah. So maybe, I don't, you guys, I don't know. Maybe... Maybe um, they didn't have doctor parking and it was first come, first serve. But I find that really, really hard to believe. I mean, the way the doctors I know, they wouldn't park. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I just thought that was weird. I just thought that was weird. Why is she parking all the way in the back? Mm, and her friends said that that was very odd, too, where the, exactly. where the car was parked. That was not normal for her. That didn't make a whole lot of sense to them. So she said that when her friend Lisa said that when she went to the scene where where she was found, Dr. Stryker came up to her and told her, he he gave her a big hug and said, you really didn't know her like I knew her. She, he, he basically told her that he thought she committed suicide. And that this was she. This was self-inflicted. He said she struggled with depression. That she had talked about suicide before. That she left a note one time for him saying that she wants to be dead. And so he says all that to her. Then, and that an odd thing to say. Yeah, this is so. This is this was my first huge red flag. Right, everything up until this, I was like, there's just too many questions for me to think that Tim did this. Mm-hmm. When this happened, I was like, ladies and gentlemen. He is our number one suspect. Please, 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 please. Eyes on the prize here. Mr. Tim is not the good guy. Um, just because this is, this is not something that you just come out literally the day of it happening. You don't go to a crime scene, um, and tell the friend of someone who literally just showed up. You, the person just committed. To, you don't know. What are you talking I about? Know. You don't know. And if she was, if she had these issues, this is something you talk about to the family prior to this happening. This is something you try to get help for your partner, your help, your friend, whatever. Right. But this was the biggest red flag when I saw it. I was like, all right, I'm ready. Like, okay, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> and the medical examiner, Dr. Stanton Kessler, he said within minutes as soon as he saw her in the back of the car seat he said literally tucked in a very tightly wedged space he thought no one can no one's going to do can possibly do that to themselves she can't even move her arms yeah he immediately knew so well, i i don't know what he's thinking exactly and and tim is a doctor so mm-hmm. like if he i mean for him to say that um i don't know if he was like in there and he was actually seeing the scene as well or he was just around the scene but for him to say it's a suicide and not know the details the day of, it's that's just, I mean, yeah. I mean, you're trying to make an alibi, you're trying to have some other, it's just big, huge red flag. It's very bizarre. Uh, there very. was apparently no sign of sexual assault. Her purse was in the car and disturbed. So, you know, of course, you're thinking possible robbery or that sort of thing. But apparently that that was not, not bothered. Everything was in it that was supposed to be. Her shoes were in the front seat. And she's in the back, and her her feet were clean. So Dr. Kessler, the, the medical examiner, said he thought that meant that someone murdered her somewhere else and then placed her there as an afterthought. I'm not 100% sure why, but I guess what he's saying is the fact that for shoes are in the front seat and she somehow walked to the car, her feet would be dirty. It, it had been raining, exactly. apparently. So they must have carried her and put her there and then placed the, the shoes in the front seat. 
is kind of his thinking. She had 24 different injuries on her body. And the district attorney pretty much thought that she had to have known her killer because, and this is something that's very common in these cases where if someone is killed with so much violence and being injured 24 times because of how violent it was, he felt like she really probably knew the person because it was, it just yeah. seemed so personal. Exactly. And it's scary to think about it. Like the people that you know most is probably going to be doing the, the the more violent act like because you're right because if it's someone like and if you just think about it logically right it only makes sense that it's it has to be personal if you are causing us many injuries if it's a robbery you want to knock the person out steal the stuff and run away as fast as possible you don't want to beat them up leave more fingerprints leave more dna and get violent the only reason you would do that is if there's some like if you are mad at the person and then you start like violently hurting the person that's when it's like all right there's 24 different injuries that makes sense for someone who wasn't like a but it's it just, just does, it wouldn't make sense if it was a robbery for someone to be just hanging out just abusing the poor lady when yeah. the book bag is right there exactly it just it doesn't really add up that that it's anything other than someone that knew her so then striker dr striker is talking about there apparently was some like a, some a few altercations between Dr. Stryker and Dr. Gowdy, okay, during their relationship. Things weren't always nice and peachy. They their personalities clashed sometimes, I guess. And there must have been a time where this was a, this one argument was sort of an established thing because he felt the need to explain what happened. Otherwise I don't know that he would have offered up this information, but he said Yeah, yeah he's describing this argument. He says that they were in the kitchen, and you know, his sister said that, which I thought was interesting, she said that they used to cook together all the time, and they would clean up together. Exactly. But it was always very positive, and that was kind of her comment. So then in this little situation that Dr. Stryker described, he said they were in the kitchen. He called her a pea brain, and because he used the word pea brain, he said she had a temper tantrum. So I guess there was like, she had divided up the vegetables in different cups as she was going to add them maybe to whatever recipe she was making. And so she started throwing those vegetables, picking up can after can and just throwing them at the wall at his paintings. So he said that was what led to the incident. And then he grabbed her to pull her away from picking up the next thing to throw at the wall and that's when she fell down and hit the floor and bruised her ribs so that was his ex allegedly yeah. allegedly allegedly so i okay so we so tina we're mm-hmm. nurses right we're nurses i have seen many patients fall on purpose not on purpose get into fights and all these things to fall and bruise your rib i don't want to say it's impossible i feel like may, maybe fall or hit the counter maybe sure but a rib is very much I, I like I keep like I don't know when my bias is telling me Tim is the bad guy, so I just want to believe these things. But at the same time, I don't know all the patients I've had that's ever fell down. The rib is the last place you check. It's not the last place you check. But I just feel like the ribs is just a really awkward, weird place to have an injury from a fall. Most rib fractures are going to be from a car accident, exactly. Or fall downstairs or from. Yeah fall from a pretty good pretty decent height you know yeah i falling in the floor i i, I don't know that i've ever heard of anybody fracturing ribs just from, from falling. falling in the floor yeah he says he was protecting his property and that lynn was the one who attacked him and he said he was never in any way verbally physically 
verbally or physically abusive to her in that he would welcome anyone to talk to his wife because he's married. He got married, you know, after this happened. After, yeah. And he said, you know, talk to my wife, talk to the girlfriend that I had from, you know, before that happened and just ask them, have have I ever been violent or had any sign, you know, sign of violence or anything, anything like that? He said, that's never been who I am. I've never been that that kind of person. And just and just I'm sorry, but just to go back to that pea brain situation with the with the ribs, um at least what I read and saw, um, that Dr. Gowdy, Lynn, afterwards did say that he wasn't like it wasn't him, he didn't physically abuse. It was uh, like the she agreed on what they said. She didn't, you know, press charges or anything. So just Yeah, she didn't. That's true. She did not press charges and she didn't do anything. Yeah, she that's true. So and who knows what the reason would be for that. You know, sometimes people just don't want to. Exactly. A lot of times that happens, you know, you kind of after everything settles, you're like, well, I did kind of provoke it, you know, just sort of justify whatever happened. Bad behavior. Yeah. So he did get married shortly after this all happened, I think within a year, because just based on some of the timelines that I was reading, I think I think it was with about a year after this happened, he got married. My, uh, Michael or Mikhail, or I'm not sure how to say. Yeah, I, I know. I was thinking the same thing when I was reading. I was like, is this a fee? Like, I just didn't, I've <laughs> never seen this name for a female, but it's, it's, it's spelled M-I-C-A-E-L. So however you pronounce it is her name, but... Can we call her Michael just to make it easy? I mean... (laughs) I guess Michael. I don't know how else to say it. I'm going to say Michael. Maybe I'm mispronouncing it. But she said that she has never seen any signs of violence from her husband. She said he's not a guy who loses it or somehow has an alter persona that shows up. She's a psychotherapist, so maybe she's... Yeah, you can take her word for it, I guess. But at the same time, (laughs) they're married, right? So she... It's all her best interest to say that he's a good guy. And maybe to her, she is a good... He is a good guy guy but you can't just say that means that he's a great human being to every other human being that doesn't mean that he didn't at some point in the past do something yeah make a mistake like that or do something so she said she's never been afraid of her husband she said he's never hit her so kind of going back to the night that lynn left the hospital Okay, then the last time that she was seen that September the 30th, she had a tote bag and a briefcase she always had with her when she left the hospital. And there were witnesses who actually did see her with them that evening, that very last night. She also had a jacket that she wore. And I think it was sort of like a lab coat type thing. So none of those things were in her car. And so you would definitely expect them to be in the car if she left the hospital carrying, she was leaving the hospital, she's got her tote bag, her briefcase her lab coat that she normally has. And then she got to the car and she was killed out there and left there. You would expect those things to be there, but they were not in the car. Surprise, surprise. Right. So when the investigators went to Dr. Stryker's home, they actually found that those things were at his house. The tote bag and the briefcase was there. He gave them a jacket that he says was identical to the one that she had, but it wasn't hers. He says that he gave it to them to sort of say, hey, this is the one that you're looking for. This is the type of jacket that she would have been wearing. I don't know. Yeah, it was, I was really confused by that entire situation. I'm like, okay, first of all, do you have another girlfriend? Like, is this, whose, is this your sister? Like, whose jacket is this that looks exactly like the jacket that Dr. Um, Gowdy would be wearing? Like, 
it was just that was super confusing. But again, another huge red flag. The stuff that she should have in the car at the hospital is found at his house. And surprise, I have a jacket that is identical <laughs> to the one that she wears to work. Um, but it's not hers, I swear. Okay. All right. Okay. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, so that what they're thinking is, okay, it's more likely that she went to his house when she left the hospital and left those things there. And that 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 would explain why her her briefcase and her tote bag was there. I mean, that's kind of more like common sense instead of someone, whoever killed her, took the briefcase and the tote bag or she left it somewhere else. And then they. I mean, you know, just none of those scenarios really make a whole lot of sense. Nope. And they said that her friends and colleagues said she always had them with her. She was not going to leave and not take those things with her. She kept them with her all the time. Yeah. So it's not like she, he said that it was common for her to leave her belongings at his house. And I don't, I don't doubt that. Of course, four years. Sure. I yeah. believe it. I'm sure there was all kinds of stuff at his house and probably at her house that was his. But... We're talking about something that she took everywhere she went, exactly. not yeah, not a toothbrush, <laughs> you know. So. <laughs> and, and 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 just I I just wanted to say just like yeah, I do believe like the scenario of like she went to his house to drop it off um before the situation, but like okay, you went to his house to drop it off, but then why are you going back to work? And if you're going back to work, why are you parking in the back? And if you're parking in the and you're supposed to be going on to your re- reunion, so I feel like if she were to go to his house, she wouldn't go back to work. It, I just, I don't, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He says that he turned those things over willingly. He said when the police asked about him, he just gave them. Here's her briefcase. Here's her tote bag. Oh, here's a lab coat, but not hers, a, a different one. Yeah. Um, that he was just trying to help with the investigation. Another odd thing that happened that some people feel is odd. His sister did not think it was odd, but a week after the murder he went he he went ahead and went on that caribbean vacation her memorial service was that week and he just he went on the caribbean vacation instead of staying there for the memorial service and that didn't sit well with people uh, people were just thinking wow that is really odd who would do that exactly. and he to him he's like well i just needed some space i needed to think about everything and process it so for this one i have to be honest this this is the one thing like i i gave um tim the benefit of the doubt for this situation just because it, it just it makes it really difficult especially because he is a suspect so at least I feel like, at least as a empathetical human being, like you don't want to go to a, <laughs> the funeral of someone where the entire family and everyone who cares about that person is there, and then you're the suspect. Everyone thinks you yeah. did it, and then you're, you're like, not only is it, even if he's innocent, even if he's innocent, he's making it horrible for everybody else, right? Like everybody right. else is like, I don't want this human here. Can we please just let her rest in peace? And so that's the only thing I gave him like benefit of the doubt on, like, and, and on top of it, everybody grieves differently. So I said, whatever to this, I was like, you know what, if he needed to do something to like, you know, let loose, sure. But at the same time, I was like, it is, it's odd. It's odd to decide to go on the vacation the day or the week of her. Um, I could see that though. I could see what you're saying. Like if he he had it paid for, he's being harassed by her family, by the police. Yeah. So why not? To, I guess take the opportunity to get away from all of that. He's not probably going to go to the memorial ser- memorial service anyway. If her family yeah. feels like she he did it. Exactly. So when he got back, the police were ready and waiting for him. They wanted to talk to him. They wanted him to take a polygraph test. I don't know how you feel about polygraph tests. I feel like they're 
kind of, I, I don't ever, I don't understand them because if you fail the polygraph test, they're going to really play that up. And I know they're not admissible in court, exactly. but at the same time, it's, it still doesn't look good. And they, the general public knows that you failed it. But if you pass it, it's still not admissible in court. So, wh- and they're not going to just, just go, oh, you passed the polygraph. Let's stop investigating. So I don't know if I, I don't know why anybody would take one. Yeah. So, uh, and so, so just excuse me, because the only other time I know of the polygraph test outside of like movies and television was the Christine Blasey Ford hearing, right? Like that's the only like other like, uh, like real life situation that I've seen like in action with the polygraph situation. And you're right. Like they talk about these polygraph tests and all the time they always say, Oh my goodness, you keep, it's not a hundred percent science. It's not perfect. We just, it's just something that we try and it gives us a hint. But at the same time, they're like, Oh, it's not permissible. You can't. So I, I was always confused about it and I felt like it always made things a lot more fuzzy than clearing things up. So I don't, I, I, I don't know how I would feel, but at the same time, I'll just, I'll let you continue because I, I just, I don't know how I feel about these polygraph tests. Yeah, I, I know. I, they, they make me feel a little like, I, I don't know why they bother. Exactly, but exactly. It's more for the, I feel like it's more for the investigators and the, the police side of it. Then it, it's never going to benefit the person. <laughs> it really isn't. Because <laughs> like, if you think about the situation, even if you're innocent and you go in to take one, it's so much, it's so stressful. It's such a stress. You have all these wires and they're asking you and you know it's checking for you if you're lying and you don't know, you yeah. might be nervous, you might be scared. You, I, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't know that I understand why anybody would agree to do it but he did decide to go ahead and and take the polygraph test he felt like they the investigators like oh everything's going fine we just need you to take this little polygraph you know just no big deal just get this out of the way so we can get you cleared up you know and so he did and they pretty much said that it what they said was the test indicated that he was it clearly indicated that he was involved so Without coming right out and saying that he he was lying when he said he didn't do it, it just they just kind of were vague about it and said that it clearly indicated he was involved in her murder. Yeah, <laughs> which is like so, which is like okay, you're involved in a murder, but you didn't do it. But you're not the one who got murdered. So what you know, like okay, I know, I know that's a little weird. And it, and you know, we all know that the police are allowed to lie. Whenever they're interrogating yeah. a suspect, they can tell you anything. They can tell you you failed the polygraph when you really didn't. Exactly. So, not sure I agree with all those tactics, but whatever. Yep. It is what it is. That's what they're allowed to do, apparently. And it's not like I'm on the side of the of, of someone who really did commit murder, but at the same time, I don't want to see someone convicted who did. who did who is innocent. Exactly. Exactly. That's what kind of that was. That's what scares me about that is if someone is is innocent, but they are being pressured into admitting to doing something that they didn't do because they're afraid if they don't, it's going to be worse for them. Yeah. I guess. Exactly. So he wasn't charged because other than that polygraph test, they didn't have, which of course is inadmissible. They didn't have any evidence. There wasn't any DNA. There weren't any fingerprints. There was nothing at that crime scene where she was found that would indicate at all that he had killed her. So it was all sort of circumstantial, all of the stuff that just the history of the arguments mm-hmm. and hearing that overhearing them argue, things like that. So maybe some weird behaviors that he had. So they didn't charge him. He 
was still the prime suspect. It was kind of one of those situations where the prosecutors are like, we know you did it, but we just can't prove it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We need the evidence. Right. So, in 1996, Dr. Gowdy's mother, Marguerite Raffuse, filed a wrongful death suit against Tim Stryker, and she claimed that he, quote, willfully, wantonly, and maliciously killed Gowdy by strangling her. So, <laughs> that's pretty straightforward. And Exactly. You know what's weird to me is in our criminal justice system, or in our justice system, because this was not criminal court that she was going through. She had to go through the civil courts because they, I get it's easier to find someone responsible for a death in civil court than it is criminal. I mean, do you think that's weird? I feel like that's odd. Yeah, I think it's really odd. And the thing is, I like, I don't know enough about how the system works, how, like, what is supposed to work. And I don't like, I, I couldn't tell you, like, I couldn't tell you anything when it comes to law, right? But it just, on the face of it, it doesn't seem right and it doesn't feel right, right? Uh, right? Um, I know that there are different degrees of murder, but to say that it's easier to convict someone of a crime if it's civil versus criminal, like, that that entire aspect of the situation just doesn't feel right to me, but I also don't know enough to understand why that is. So I agree with you that it doesn't feel right, but I also, I don't want to, I don't want to say that it's wrong without knowing. So I guess that they, the way that maybe whoever decided this was a good idea, it's sort of like, well, we don't want to lock someone away in prison if we don't have really good evidence. But if, if everybody kind of goes, we all know they did it. Yeah. Then that's good enough to, you know, to make them pay millions of dollars in restitution. (laughs) I guess. I don't know. It's just, just odd to me. Yeah, no. So exactly. they they tried they for thirteen years because they the nineteen ninety six was when she started this. She filed yeah. you know, the the wrongful death suit. They had to go back and forth with the district attorney because the district attorney didn't want to just turn over all the evidence. I feel like he felt like that would hurt his case if it, if ever he was able to bring the case, you know bring him to file ch- criminal charges. He didn't want to exactly. release. Yeah, he didn't want to have to turn all all of that evidence over. So her attorney that was representing Dr. Gowdy's mother, he said our feeling was you do it or we'll do it, and it it shouldn't be that nobody does it. So someone should be holding him accountable. And if you're not, For the yeah, if you're not going to do it, then we'll do it this way. So in 2006, 13 years after the murder, you know, back and forth with the district attorney, the courts ruled in favor of Gowdy's mother and forced the DA to turn over the evidence. And they went to court. And her attorney said mm-hmm. that Dr. Stryker and Dr. Gowdy's relationship was a lot more volatile than Dr. Stryker wanted to admit. And he, Dr. Stryker testified. And said, I never screamed at her. I never cursed at her. I never expressed any anger in any way. And he's very, his demeanor is just very calm and quiet and soft spoken. Yeah. When I was watching um, the, well, I was watching an, uh, like a mini documentary on this and and he's actually in the documentary mm-hmm. and you can see it. He is very like, it's even hard to tell his emotions when he's talking about mm-hmm. it. Like high emotions, happy emotions, good memories, bad memories. He looks exactly the he's same. very stoic. Exactly. Very, very stoic. And maybe that is something you want in a doctor, but in that kind of situation, it's hard to tell. Like, does he feel, does he feel bad for this? Like, it was just hard to tell because this is such heavy like emotionally situations uh, uh, topics and he was just very 
I never did this very robot-like. Yeah, he's just, it's, yeah. it's a little creepy, honestly. Yes. He claimed from the beginning, of course, you know, they asked him just flat out, did you strangle her? Or were you, did you ever get angry enough to strangle her? And he said, no, of course. He claimed from the very beginning, from the time that they, they found her, he said that he had not, he did not see her the night that he left the hospital. But the attorney pointed out, like we talked about earlier, that the briefcase, the tote bag, and her jacket had been found at his house and not in the car. So the only way it would have gotten there is if she took it. You know, that exactly. just doesn't make sense. He said, of course, you know, it's not, well, it's not uncommon for her to leave her things at his house. But we talked about that before. That doesn't make sense for, you don't leave your purse or your wallet or something that you take with you everywhere you go. Everywhere. It would have made sense. Yeah. You needed, you need that stuff with you. Yeah. They also, that attorney found some writings, kind of like journaling sort of thing from her house where she had apparently written about some fights that she had with him. And he, he took those writings and he picked out these key words from them and he was just sort of going through. And did you see that when he was yell- sort of yelling them out, the, th- the things, yeah. up, angry, forget it, storms out, three pearls, flips me into railing, back and foot <laughs> injury, shaking. And he's just like really dramatic and just very, very impressive and, and powerful attorney. Yeah. And his, uh, his wife was in the courtroom when all this is going on and she said she kind of burst into tears because she thought if i was on the jury and i heard that i would just i would it was very convincing very compelling she said yes um and i like i hate like trying to you know defend him but because you guys obviously know that i I, like I, i think that tim very very questionable um definitely less so than dr shepherd but i still do think that tim did it um (laughs) um but at the same time, you can if you're going through someone's journal and you just pick out all the bad words that they ever wrote in the <laughs> journal and you shout it in court, obviously that comes yeah. off as scary. Like, I mean, what are we talking about here, right? So um, I just feel bad because that is like literally when people are like, you need to have context of the situation. That's the worst way to go about going through someone's journal. <laughs> These are all the really bad things that he she said in her journal. Yeah. So, yes. So, and it was very dramatic and made sense. Uh, I mean makes tim look like the bad guy oh, yeah. but at the same time it really did the, the jury yeah. only had to deliberate a day and a half and the, to reach a verdict and they found him responsible for her death and ordered him to pay lynn's family 15 million dollars it's a lot of money that is a lot of money even for a doctor yep. but nine months later something really interesting happens yep <laughs> A wi- this is amazing, isn't it? A witness comes forward. <laughs> 15 years later, 15 years after this happened, a witness is just watching television and somehow just sees the footage, I guess, of, of this trial. And he's like, oh, my gosh, I, I'm seeing this guy's face now. And I was actually there that night that this happened in that parking lot. And I remember seeing her and I remember seeing that guy. And they're not the same person. So he calls Dr. Stryker. It's, I mean, how lucky can you possibly be? Oh, Jesus. You know, <laughs> like how it's this is just like I was like laughing when this started. Like I was like this. I mean, this is literally like the worst. Okay, keep going. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know what's funny about you, Q? You are so like you are like the 
defendant's worst nightmare because you're like, I don't buy anything you're selling. I'm not picking no. up anything you're throwing down. And I'm like There's so no gullible. I'm just like, oh my God, are you serious? That's no, oh no, my, no, that's no, amazing. No, no, no. <laughs> and you're just like, excuse me. No, I don't think like right off Please. the bat. I'm sitting there watching that going, oh my gosh. Yeah, All this no, time, I, I thought was... he was guilty, and here's this person that came on. <laughs> so cool. Yep, not for a hot second. Forget about it. Forget about it. So, he said, Dr. Stryker's like, he called me on the phone. And he's just sitting there so, you know, stoic and speaking in his little accent. Whatever. And that's a weird accent, by the way, he has. I'm like, yeah. what? where is he from? Like, it's not Boston. I don't know what it no, is. It's something else. It definitely is something else. Yeah, that, that district attorney, he had a total Boston accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like... I was like, those are my people. Yeah. I know him. Yes. That was awesome. But Dr. Stryker, I don't know what... I don't know what... I don't know where his accent is from, but it was definitely a little on the different side. But he says that this man calls him up and he says to him, I was there the night that this happened. I saw the, the face of the person. He says he had uh, been out drinking that he picked up a girl, took her over to this parking lot at the hospital, pulls up. R- this is where I went. <laughs> I mean, exactly. This is exactly. where I went. Exactly. No, this didn't happen. You pull you seriously. You two. There's two cars in this entire hospital parking lot, exactly. and you went and pulled up right beside right. the other one. No, you didn't. No. No, you did not. Mm-mm. No, you didn't. Nope. So, no, you didn't. <laughs> that's stupid. Of course he didn't. But that, that's his story, and he's sticking to it. So, he pulls yeah. right up beside the car, and he looks over, and the other couple are going at it hot and heavy, according to him. And so, he walks over to the car knocks on the window it's like hey dude do you have a condom and it at the time he's like the guy looks up so he sees his face and he's like blonde hair he's somehow in in a car in this situation because he says they're engaged in sexual activity and remember they said she was not sexually assaulted i'm sure if there was any evidence of even her having sexual activity they would have said that they would have said yeah Yeah. that would have been something i mean yeah yeah and so he says he saw his face. He somehow knew in that situation that he was six feet tall. So basically described the opposite of Dr. Stryker. Exactly. Surprise, surprise, right? 15 years surprise, later. Surprise, surprise. 15 years later. Yeah. So, like, now I really want to just lean into the situation because there's a hundred million holes with this. So, 15 years later, <laughs> impossible. Like, just stop it. Just please stop it, right? I mean, when these stories happen, like we talked about last time, it's the talk of the town. Like, everyone talks about these things. Yeah. Like, everybody. It's on the radio. It's on TV. It's, it's on the newspaper. Like, everyone's talking about it. So, if you were 18 at the time, you and or the girl. So, where's the girlfriend at the time? Where's the girl you were with in the car why isn't she saying anything? why isn't she making the call right that's exactly and and if you're going into a hospital you don't work there you don't know anything and you see other people having sex in the car you want me to believe you got out of your car and knocked at someone else's window and asked them for a condom yeah please please like don't like this is just ridiculous like it's just I, i can't believe he thought that this would work. I just could not. It's just, it's crazy. The doctor, this is, again, we do this every time, don't we, Q? These people yes. are supposed to be intelligent. What is... <sighs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> What's wrong with that? 
<laughs> he thinks this is a great idea. I've got a master uh, plan. Uh, so It's the worst. <laughs> according to the district attorney, the affidavit that that guy signed, because he, he did sign an affidavit saying that he saw that. That he saw this man and he looked nothing like Stryker. And the district the district attorney said that that was an utter and complete lie. It's just a story that was created by Tim Stryker. Yeah, and then one more thing before you keep going, and I'm sorry. But, like, the killer for me is, if you are this guy, and you did see the situation, and you're watching the news, you don't call the person who is suspected of the crime. <laughs> you call 911. You call the daughter's family. You call. You don't call the guy and be like, yo, mm-hmm. I know they think you killed her, but I got good news. No, that's not how it works. It's just that you call 911. You call the family and say, like, I think I have information on this. It's just, I just, yeah. Yeah, because Dr. Stryker said that he did not know this man. He had never met him before in his life, had never talked to him before. So he, he claimed to not have any idea who he was, but investigators found cell phone records that showed that Dr. Stryker had talked to Mr. Pisano months yes. before he actually came forward. So they had had some conversations. So that was a lie, obviously. obviously. He said that Stryker met Pisano, I don't know if I'm saying that right, through one of his patients named Richard Chambers. And then they arrest all three of them. The DA says Pisano told all about the elaborate plan and how Pisano and Chambers received pain medication and antidepressants from from the doctor as payment. And I think they were also supposed to receive some money, thousands of dollars or something. But he told them, like, my money's tied up right now in this $15 million lawsuit. So (laughs) if you can make this happen, you'll get your money. But he he did give them pain medication and antidepressants. And they had the actual medicine and they turned those over to the district attorney. They were able to trace those lot numbers all the way back to Dr. Stryker, that a drug representative or pharmaceutical rep or whatever had issued those to Dr. Stryker. So they they were able to trace it right back to him. So Yeah. Yeah, no, just ridiculous. I think it was probably the dumbest thing you could have done. I mean, like, I hate to say this, right? And, I, and like, you guys know I'm gun-ho against um, Tim, Mr. Stryker here, right? But if you were going to get away with murder and all you have to do is pay $15 million and you get to live as a free man, you you, 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 you got to cut your lo- I mean, you know, quit while you're ahead, yeah. right? Because, like, this is just, it's just ridiculous. It's stupid. It's like, how did he think that this was going to work? I know. How did he think it wasn't going to get traced back when you're giving these dudes antidepressants, you're giving him pain meds, these phone call records? You, Tina, like, you're right. Every time, it, like, really concerns me. But some of these doctors who you think are the smartest people on the planet are just really not. There's just no common sense. There. That's kind of scary. Yep. He did eventually plead guilty to doing this, and he served, or he was given, four years in prison. But in 2011, he died of pancreatic cancer while he was still in prison serving that four-year sentence. So... Yeah. And just to, when you say he... He pleaded guilty to doing this. You meant for the, like, uh, you know, like the obstruction of justice, yes. not like, not the actual murder. No. Yeah. Okay. Only okay. to, just to be setting up these two two guys to to pretend like yeah. he was a oh, eyewitness and, and trying to clear him, trying to clear his name so he didn't have to pay the $15 million. Yeah. But he did die of pancreatic cancer while he was serving the sentence. So they pretty much just stopped looking into the, you know, investigating her death because they are convinced that he was the murderer. So they don't 
feel like it's necessary to keep investigating that. So I I was looking for this because like I'm always super confused at when DNA and fingerprints and all that stuff started becoming a big deal. Yeah. But it was funny to me that in all of the reporting and all of the stories, I didn't hear or see much of that, right? Like I didn't like read anything about we found his fingerprints there or we found his DNA there or anything like that. And like they didn't talk about any third party guests. They didn't talk about even like the only time they mentioned it was when they were saying like there was no signs of sexual activity. But then I was like, all right, where's the fingerprints? Where's the DNA? Where's like the stuff that you hear in every other law and order CSI, know. you know, true crime story? I just I don't know why, but for some reason, I think I, did they not have that around in the nine? Like they had to in the 90s, right? They did. Of course, fingerprints have been around since. 100 years yeah. or, or more but dna is it was oh okay it would have been available so i want to say i read or or saw somewhere where they they said there was no dna evidence or finger there wasn't anything like that oh wow that would give them any indication as to who did it and it it certainly didn't tie him to it so like you're saying there wasn't anything in the sense that there wasn't a third party dna that they just didn't know who the person was no okay they they didn't find anything like that. And I would imagine that it wouldn't have been unusual for him to, for his fingerprints to be in the car. Oh, yeah, because they were dating for four years. No, you're right. Okay. See, okay. Because that makes, no, you're right. It makes sense now. Yeah, it's her car. They've probably been in there a thousand yeah. times before. So it wouldn't be fair to say that because his fingerprints or DNA was in there, he's the one. It's just, it's, it's, yeah. No, okay. Got it. Yeah. So that's kind of how that story ends he did he had three children and one of his children is uh um, with his new wife right with the second with the new wife with, yeah yes michael michael yes one of his children her name was dean kenny Stryker. she was 22 years old she was going to medical school she was at i think it was like an osteopathic type of medical school and while she was studying in the library one day, a man by the name of Jeffrey Yao came up and stabbed her. He started stabbing her in the head and the neck for no reason that that anyone can figure out other than he, uh, his, according to his defense attorney, he's severely mentally ill. And this is uh, this just happened in 2018. So he was I want he he was arraigned, I think, like in September of last year. And I ha there really isn't a lot of information about his case right now. You know, it takes a while exactly. for all that. And so but he, he pled not guilty. And his attorney says that he's severely mental, mentally ill. But he stabbed her in the head and the neck. A 77-year-old man tried to help her. And he was stabbed also. He lived. The 77-year-old man lived, but the Dr. Stryker's daughter died. Is that not bizarre? That is the craziest thing. I mean, that's like, it's, it's like, oh, first of all, for his daughter, I mean, that's the saddest situation, the scariest yeah. situation. The fact that it happened in a library, yeah. in a school. I don't want to say it. Like, these random acts of violence, I think... I don't want to say it's easier to pin that on mental illness, but if there's no, what's it called? If there's no motive, then you have to ask why someone would do such a thing, right? So yeah. it's, it's a really sad situation and I'm happy they um, have the person who did it. But yeah, so I, 
I don't want to say I believe that mental illness has to be the the key issue here in this situation because without motive, then there is just something wrong with the person. No kidding. And her mother said that she always wanted to be a doctor since she was a little girl. She told the story of how when she was a teenager, she followed, kind of shadowed a doctor in a doctor's office. And then when she went to pick her up, she said that she said, she told her mom, I don't, I want to go to medical school because I don't want to be in a situation where someone needs help and I'm not able to help them. Oh my God, Tina. <laughs> she sounded like a really wonderful person and it's really sad what happened to her and she doesn't in any way deserve, and her her mom doesn't deserve this just because of what her dad did. Her dad died in 2011, so yeah. he didn't even, you know, it was years later that this happened. Just, I just found it was so bizarre. Uh, Tina, I have to say this because... I don't get this from many, many other like places that have these kind of podcasts, but I absolutely love that in all of your podcasts, even though we talk about the craziest and most psychotic people, you always, you always make a note to mention the family. You always make a note to mention the kids because like that's like everyone is so obsessed with these crazy stories because it's these psycho killers and oh my goodness right you love seeing all this craziness and these true crime stories but you forget that there's human beings that loved that crazy person there's human beings that depended on that crazy person and like we just forget about them like they're not even part of the situation where Mm -hmm. like in their life their entire lives are like to pieces. The world is watching their life fall apart like it's a movie. So, I, I, I love, love, love that you bring the family up every time you talk about it. Uh, and I, th- and I say that because I, I, I'm like obsessed with this stuff, and I watch a lot of this stuff, and listen to a lot of these podcasts, and they don't. This is something a lot of people just don't. Well, I try to anytime I can find anything about you know just extra information, you know, like that, just to sort of humanize the whole situation. Yes, because just. Like her mom said that when it comes to the person that actually killed her, her mother said that she would have wanted this to turn into somehow bringing awareness to mental illness. And rather than putting the blame all on him and focusing on trying to somehow tighten up security in, in libraries to try to figure out why someone like that who is suffering from mental illness would would get to a point that they would do something like that and maybe try to figure out why our country isn't helping people more who suffer, who suffer from mental illness. Why are we just, rather than helping people, we're actually decreasing funding for mental illness and for people who need help. Exactly. It's, it's ridiculous, really. So I thought that was wonderful. No, it's important. And thank you. Well, thank you. And I guess we have a good doctor story. And I wanted to make sure that this good doctor story was also from Boston. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Since we kind of picked on Boston in a really major way. Yes. So this was a really neat story that there's a little, it's like a little podcast type thing, like a little audio yep. clip of her, of, of this doctor being interviewed. And I found that so fascinating. Did you, did you get to listen to oh, it? Oh, I did. I listened to the whole thing and I loved it. I, I, yes, 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 I did. That was awesome. I, I was so impressed with her. So this is the story of Dr. Iris Yaffe. It's spelled J-A-F-F-E. So if I, maybe if I mispronounced that, sorry about that. But she was attending a lecture and this was, this story was from September 11th of 2017, but it said she was attending a lecture in June of that year, I guess, by Professor Jill Brown at Bentley University in Waltham, Massachusetts. And Yaffe, who is a cardiologist at Tufts Medical Center in Boston, was trying to just sitting there listening to the lecture and <laughs> starts noticing what she felt like was 
serious symptoms uh, because her leg was swollen. She remembered that Dr. Brown, when she started talking, mentioned that she had been on crutches. She was on crutches because of some foot surgery. Yep. So as nurses, we know that as soon as somebody says they've had surgery, the you know, one of the first things that, that you you think of is a blood clot. Exactly. You know, like if you've been had surgery or if you've been traveling a lot and then somebody starts having breathing problems, bam, that's the that's light bulb. Blood clots. Yeah. So she remembers that and that kind of has a little bit of a light bulb moment when she sees that she's sort of short of breath. She said she couldn't get a whole sentence out. Exactly. She, she would try to get a whole sentence out and, she, you know, like just have to gasp. It reminds me of my kids when they were little and would have an asthma attack and they <laughs> would just try to, try to talk and kind of be like, yeah. let's go to the ER. Please, <laughs> let's, let, let's, let's, let's make that move. <laughs> so that's what she noticed. She was like, mm, she's short of breath. She said she had surgery. She looked at her leg and it was swollen all the way up to her knee. So one calf is larger than the other. She sat in a few rows back. And from a few rows back, she can see the veins in her neck bulging out. That yeah, that's, pulsating. There you go. That's the big one. That's it. Something's popping off. That's real. It's got to be really scary. She's yes. a cardiologist. She knows what she's looking exactly. at. And she's got to sit there. And what's she going to do? Jump up. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> you might have a PE. You might have a clot traveling somewhere. Um, Excuse so- <laughs> me. Like, raise your hand. Um, Dr. Brown. Professor, I have a question. Do you have a PE? <laughs> that would I be mean, a scary situation. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And the topic of the discussion was ethics that she was talking about. So, she's sort of having an ethical dilemma. Most definitely. And that's what Dr. Brown was talking about was ethical dilemmas. Exactly. So, she felt like it was an ethical dilemma because it's not like Dr. Brown has come to her and said, hey, I'm having these symptoms. Can you help me? She is wit- She's just observing this and she's feeling like, should I just go say something to her? Am I going to offend her? You know, or am I, is it any of my business? That sort of thing. So she goes up to her after, after the, the talk and just was like, Hey, I've got an ethical dilemma. Do you mind if I, and she's like, Oh, <laughs> sure. She just can't wait to sink her teeth into this big ethical dilemma. Yeah. And she, Dr. Yaffe said she was probably kind of taken aback by the fact that it was about her, yes. I, I don't think she expected that. Yeah, no. Um, I was thinking about this a lot too, right? And I don't know if she was, um, she was tentative about bringing it up because, um, it was another doctor having that conversation. But I do feel like, um, when I see something that's super unhealthy happening or something that I'm concerned about, and it's like a random person that I don't know, I'd be more than willing to go up to them and say, hey, I think you might, I, I don't know, I'm a nurse, this is just what I know, but I, I just want to let you know, in like the most kind, like appropriate way possible. But when it's someone else that I know is in healthcare, it makes me question it, because I'm like, so they know what I know, and this is happening to them, so maybe this is a normal situation for them. So I don't know, um, and I wanted to know, would do you think you would like are you good about letting people know like if you see concerning issues that's a really good question because i personally find that i don't want to be that person who is like constantly trying to educate everybody and getting on people's nerves so i i have to we know a lot of things about a lot of things so (laughs) you can't help it if you hear somebody say something wrong you you're like should I tell them that? that exactly. And I don't always. Of course. Not. But if it's something really, I guess it just depends. Like if I, 
if I feel like I really should say something because this, you know, if, if they, they can take it or leave it. Yeah. I, and, I, and I feel like if you don't do that all the time, then they're going to take you more seriously when you, you know, really pick the big battles. So, so, you're, so you're saying if you were in Dr. Yaffe's situation, you would have said something. Yeah, oh, I course. think that was completely appropriate, for sure. Most for definitely. Sure. Yeah, and I think it's 100% appropriate. Yeah, and she was worried about her because she did go up to her during the break and she um, she said, you know, you know look, I, I, I saw these these symptoms and I feel like you it could possibly have a blood clot in your lungs and I'm really concerned. And she didn't want her to get on an airplane. She wanted her to go to a hospital right away and she was worried that she was going to do that. And actually she did. Of course. She got, <laughs> she got on an airplane, which is crazy. Yes. Oh, well, and what she said is that a lot of times people survive the first one, but then another one comes along after that and that's the one that they don't. They don't. Yep. And when and if it, and if you're in an airplane, there's not much, you know. There's no nine one one. There's no uh, we could get you into an uh, ED in like fifteen minutes. No. Nope, you're in the sky. Yeah, yep. there's not going to be any antithrombolytics or anything available. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> it's not happening. <laughs> so she said that she called her. I guess she said she was worried about her over the weekend and decided she was going to try to reach out to her on Monday. And then she got an email that said, "Thank you for saving my life." Really. And she explained that she had gone to the emergency room and had been diagnosed with a blood clot in her leg and in both lungs. Wow. She had bilateral PEs. She said that she had put in the email that the emergency room doctor, her primary care physician, and the lung doctor all said that she was really lucky and that this uh, woman probably, whoever this random doctor was, that she told them, you know, she told them, hey, this doctor told me that I should come. And they were like, well, <laughs> this woman probably saved your life. <laughs> it's super important. Yeah, I, I like. I, I love this story. I love this story because, um, like, because like as a nurse, like we are many, many times. So we like do assessments. We plug in the information. The doctor looks at that information and decides what's wrong with the patient, and then gives you know, uh, y- you know, the treatment plan. Right. Um, I, like my favorite thing in all of ever is like when I see something that not everyone is seeing, and then I let it known, and then. It, it fixes the problem, right? It, like, if you find the issue that fixes the problem, it's the best feeling in the world. It feels like, oh my goodness, like, that's what I feel like I'm the most nurse ever, right? Um, so I love these stories where there's an assessment and it's out of the public and you just save the day because I, I, I love these stories. I love, love, love these stories. Yeah, I do too. For sure. Well, I guess that does it for this episode. We made it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very, very much. And remind everybody, Q, where they can come, we can see all of your shenanigans and stuff and whatnot. Um, so you can always find me at Q the Nurse. It's literally just the letter. It's not spelled out. It's Q the letter, the nurse. Um, and you can find me on YouTube and on Instagram. And that's where you'll find most of my stuff. And then, um, uh, yeah, come check me out. Please and thank you. Yay. Yeah, and you guys uh, go to our website at www.goodnursebadnurse.com uh, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram. Don't really look for us on Twitter because I'm not very good at Twitter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're on there, but not very much. Sorry. <laughs> Respect. It's hard. There's so many things. There's so too many much. things. <laughs> oh, God. Well, I just want to remind you guys that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, right, Q? Right. Be a good nurse. I meant to that. <laughs> so-